I invite you to turn in it with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. For the purpose of our discussion, we'll be reviewing today 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. When you get there, say amen. If you need more time, say wait a minute. Now, the church that God has called me over is a predominantly African-American church. And there the, the sermons aren't as much monologue or dialogue as they are trialogues. It is a conversation between God, the preacher, and the people. I know God has something to say this morning. I hope I have something to say this morning. But if you don't respond, I'll just keep on preaching because I think you don't hear me. <laughs> so let's try something. You know, just indulge me for this Sunday. A few phrases that I'd like to hear <laughs> during the sermon. Applause are always welcome. Amen. Amen. It's good. That's it, preacher. Preach on. One of my all-time favorites, throw some mustard on it, preacher. <laughs> and when you feel like I've been preaching too long, it's okay to say, time to land a plane. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Whatever situation you find yourself in, God will give you the victory if you do not lose heart. Hear the word of the Lord for you this morning. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we do thank you this morning. Thank you for being sovereign over the earth, sovereign over New York. Lord, you are sovereign over our circumstances. And Father, pray today that your people would find encouragement and knowing that you are sovereign so that they would rest completely in you. And Father, we pray also that as your word is explained, that you would be exalted and that you would help us to put aside all malice and evil so that we would, with meekness, be able to accept the 
implanted word of God, which is able to save our souls. And Father, as you have directed the preparation of this message, I pray now that you would also direct the presentation of this message for your good and glory. We pray. And all who are God's people said. Recently this week, one of the iconic sports figures of this or any generation passed away. His name is Joe Frazier. Some of you may remember him. He rose to fame through three iconic and legendary bouts with Muhammad Ali. The first bout was fought actually here in New York City in Madison Square Garden. It was called the Fight of the Century. And that bout drew record crowds and record purses for both fighters. And Joe Frazier won that fight by unanimous decision. The second bout called Ali Frazier II. Muhammad Ali avenged his previous loss to Joe Frazier, and he won that bout by unanimous decision. The third bout would determine which of these two great boxing legends would be remembered as the greatest boxer of his generation. It was fought in the Philippines, and Don King dubbed it the Thriller in Manila. The fight started at roughly around 11 o'clock uh, in the morning to accommodate an international TV audience. And at the start of the fight, as Ali was beating down Frazier, you would think that Frazier never heard his alarm clock sound to wake him up. Ali was pounding Frazier with left hook after right hook to the point where people thought the fight should be stopped in the fourth round. But suddenly and unexpectedly, Joe Frazier woke up and he began to pound Ali with left hook after left hook. At one point during the fight, he hit Ali with such a jeering, jarring left hook that the first lady of the Philippines said she felt like as if Ali, someone stabbed Ali with a knife in his back. That was the sheer force of Frazier's punches. But then, at the start of the 10th round, the fight unexpectedly turned again. Ali hit Frazier with a left hook to the eye, closing his left eye. And for the rest of the bout, Frazier could not see anything out of both his eyes. So he was blind to all the punches that Ali was throwing. Ali battered and bruised Frazier for the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th round. So much so that Joe Frazier's trainer, the legendary Eddie Futch, refused to let Frazier go out at the start of the 15th round. He threw in the towel before the bell even sounded. But unbeknownst to Eddie Futch, 
or to Joe Frazier at that time, even though Ali was giving the beating, he had told his trainer, if the bell rings for the 15th round, I don't have the strength to go out. The irony of this legendary fight is this. To win the fight, all Joe Frazier had to do was stay in the fight. History remembers Joe Frazier now as a footnote to Muhammad Ali's legendary career. Sad tale of what happens when you give up before your time is due. All of us find ourselves now in some type of fight. A fight to save our marriage. A fight to put our finances back on track. A fight with our children. A fight to have an enduring ministry. The good news about this fight that we're in is that the battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. And because of this, your victory is assured if you simply stay in the fight and do not lose heart. This is the very perspective on life that the Apostle Paul had in the book of 2 Corinthians. He writes in our text for today, we do not lose heart. This phrase, we do not lose heart, is actually the theme of the entire chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It expresses Paul's intent on continuing in the work that God has given him despite personal turmoil, despite fierce opposition, despite hunger, famine, and beatings. Paul declares emphatically, I will not lose heart. Paul had every reason to lose heart. The church at 2 Corinthians had been infiltrated by a group of false apostles who said that because of Paul's suffering, he was not truly an apostle of God. They looked at the old, weak apostle, and they, they, they did not see the inner strength that God had given him. Instead, they saw a weak, fragile individual. And they began to accuse him in that church in Corinth of not being a genuine apostle of God. And for them, they carried what were false letters of recommendation, saying that they were somebody. And because Paul didn't have these letters, they said Paul was a nobody. But Paul reminds the Corinthians that he doesn't need letters of recommendation, that they, their lives, were his letters of recommendation. That their changed lives demonstrated to, was a demonstration that his ministry was approved by God. Not only that, Paul says that suffering was the means by which God showed his approval on his life. Paul said that he was weak because in his weakness, God showed himself to be strong. So Paul answers his critics 
by pointing to the Corinthians and his very life as demonstration as to why he was really approved by God. And in our text before this, Paul says he sees himself as a minister of a new covenant that comes with more glory than the old covenant that was preached by Moses. The old covenant preached by Moses was fading, but the new covenant preached by Paul was unfading and carried unfading glory. Paul says that, unfortunately, as minister of the new covenant, God ordained that the preachers who carry this unbelievable message would have to suffer as a result of that. So on the one hand, you see in Paul's life that he was blessed to serve God at a time where the gospel was preached for the first time and it was expanding throughout the world. But on the other hand, God had ordained it that if you preach this gospel, you would suffer. The very thing that was Paul's blessing was also his burden. You and I know something about this. Because the very things in our lives that were once our blessings now become our burden. Remember the first day you saw him, her? You thought him, her. <laughs> was the most beautiful thing you ever laid your eyes on. Night and day, you prayed that God would make him, her, yours. But now it's been three, four years later, and you're thinking, what was I thinking back then? That very thing... That very thing that was once your blessing has now become your burden. Remember how you prayed to God to help you find a job? God blessed you with a job. Now, every day you wake up, you don't want to go to work that day. What was once your blessing has now become your burden. Remember when you prayed that God would just give you one child? <laughs> Remember the first day you held that little bundle of joy in your arm? You thought that was the most beautiful thing you ever laid your eyes on. That's when he was a newborn. But now that he's 14, 15, 16 years old, and he's talking back to you like you grown. <laughs> what was once your blessing has now become your burden. 
And this is the very situation that Paul's life found itself in. Yet despite the fact that Paul's blessings had now become his burdens, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16, Paul says, I will not give up on my blessing, even though it has now become tiresome and weary. He says, we do not lose heart. That verb, actually one word, we do not lose heart in the Greek text. It's a, it's a wonderful word picture. It's the picture of a soldier fighting in battle. And he sees the odds stacked against him, so he retreats. It, it's the picture of a farmer laboring during harvest season. And the work becomes so, so backbreaking for him that he, he, he gives up on the work before he collects the harvest. And Paul says, even though I have all these reasons to give up, I won't give up on this ministry. Even though you have every reason in your life to give up on your marriage, on your job, on your finances, don't give up. Paul gives us in our text today three reasons through a series of contrasts why you and I should not give up on the fight that we're involved in. You and I shouldn't give up on the fight that we're fighting because in the fight there is the process of inward renewal. Look at what Paul says in, this, in the B part Verse 16, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The first contrast that Paul's developed for us in verse 16 is the contrast between the outward person and the inward person. This is not a contrast between body and spirit. Rather, it is a contrast between how the world sees you and how God sees you. A similar idea is expressed in, in the book of uh, 1 Samuel. Remember when Samuel went to anoint the new king? He saw David's brothers, and they were all tall and picturesque. And he saw one brother, and because of his stature, Samuel said that this must be him. And God reminded him that though man looks, word, looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. When the world sees you, they see someone who is decaying. They see someone who is a shell of their former self. This is how the Corinthians looked at Paul. They saw that all the trouble that Paul was, carried, was carrying in his life and, and the effect that this trouble had on his, his person, on, had on his body. Paul was growing old and tired because of his trouble right before their very eyes. And they looked at Paul and they said to Paul that, look at you. You are decaying. You are wasting away. And they thought to themselves that because Paul was growing old because of his trouble right before their eyes, that this was just another sign to them 
that God disproved of Paul's ministry. Now Paul reminds them that what's happening to me on the outside is really not what's happening to me on the inside. Though my body is growing weak and old, from God's perspective, on the inside, I'm growing more loving, kinder, more gentle. Does, does that describe you today? That your, your body may be growing old. You know, you, you don't have that six-pack <laughs> that you used to have. You, you, you don't have the muscular physique that you used to have. You, you look in the mirror and you see wrinkles that weren't there 10 years ago. I, I see evidence of this every day in my life. And I used to, I'm, I'm, I used to be six packed all up. <laughs> I still got a six pack, but now it's right here. In fact, I ran into a friend who hadn't seen me in 10 years, and, and she looked at me and said, John, what has happened to you? <laughs> the reality is that no one in here is able to stop time. Time is always ticking. And though you might look good for your age, you might be 40 look like you're 30. You might be 50 and look like you're 40. You might be 60 and look like you're 50. The reality is you ain't getting no younger. <laughs> Some of you may remember Jack LaLanne. He was notorious for trying to stop the effects of aging. He exercised and lifted weights every day of his life. In fact, at 96 years old, he swam 26 miles to commemorate his birthday. You know what Jack LaLanne is doing now? Laying in his grave. You can't stop the effects of time. Time will win out in the end. But just because time is doing something to you on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that God can't be doing the exact opposite on the inside. Even though I'm growing older, God is renewing me day by day, so much so that I'm better on the inside than what I used to be. I'm better. I love my wife better. I pray better. I, I, I read my Bible better. I'm being renewed on the inside. And, and, and Paul says, this inward renewal won't stop even when my body is dead because he says that we know that when this earthly tent is destroyed, we have a house not made by human hands, eternal in the heavens, waiting on us. God can do something to He can do something on the 
inside of you. I have evidence of this in my church, in the life of Robert and his wife, Susan Battle. They are 78 and 82 years old, I think, respectively, and they are the picture of unhealth. Robert has diabetes. Something is wrong with his heart. I think he has glaucoma. You name it, he's got it. In fact, I walked into his house one day, and and he had on his shelf like 92 different bottles, pills, that he has to take every day. And his worst, and his wife, if possible, is even in worse condition. She has to carry, because of respiratory illness, an oxygen tank around where she breathes in air. But, but, but don't let my description of what's going on on the outside of Robert and his wife dis- disturb you because something is happening on the inside of him. I, I, I dare you to come to my church and sit with Robert and his wife and not be encouraged. I dare you to sit with them, for them not to tell you how much Jesus has blessed them. I dare you to sit with them and, not, and for them not to pray with you and not to encourage you. Time might have its effects on what's going on to you on the outside, but God can be doing something to you on the inside. So much so that I love what Paul says later on in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to wait for God to begin this renewal process in you. He says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul tells us, stay in the fight. Because in the fight, there is the process of inward renewal. Then Paul goes on to tell us to Stay in the fight, because in the fight, there is the preparation for eternal rewards. Look at what he says in verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul has a series of lists which are known as peristasis. These peristasis lists are catalogs of sufferings. And and one of the longest and most heart-wrenching peristasis lists in 2 Corinthians is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There, Paul goes on to describe his various, in detail, the sufferings that he went through. He says that he had been in prison more times than his opponents, He had been flogged more severely. He has been exposed to death more times than they had. Five times he received 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. Paul once spent a whole day abandoned at sea. He had been without food, without clothes, and without sleep. And then Paul says, on top of this, I carry around with me the burden of my care for the churches. And as you you look at this peristasis list, you know two words that you wouldn't use to describe them? You would not call them 
what Paul calls them in verse 17. Light and momentary. Being beaten, being shipwrecked, being stoned, being left for dead is anything but light and momentary. Paul is not crazy for describing them like this. But what Paul is doing, he says, in comparison to what God has for me, my troubles today are life and momentary. In and of themselves, what you're going through today is not life and momentary, but in comparison for what God has for you in the future. They are life and momentary. In fact, there is an interesting dichotomy going on in the Greek text. Paul says that his troubles, it, 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 it means to be heavy, that word means to be heavy, to press, are life. The thing which is press, exerting pressure on Paul the burden that Paul is carrying is life. This is what I call having an eternal perspective on life. This is what it means to, to be able to see the future of what God has for you rather than the trouble that what you're going through now. I believe Paul understood that the road to glory had to go through suffering lane. And unless you pass through suffering lane, you don't get to glory. Glory is the ultimate state of the believer. Glory is, uh, a picture of glory is, is Jesus coming out of the tomb. But, but do you know before Jesus got out the tomb, he had to get in it first. You can't get to glory without going through suffering. And Paul says, the only way that you and I can get to glory, the only way that you and I could become completely like Jesus is first enduring and, and going through troubles. Do, do you guys know who Idris Elba is? Thank you very much. Idris Elba, according to my wife, is the finest black man <laughs> in the world today. Uh, let me think of a movie that he played in. He was in the movie Takers uh, and, and Daddy's Little Girl. And, and like, like, don't tell nobody this. I haven't even told my church this. This is between us. <laughs> I've got a little man crush on Eldris <laughs> I'm not coming back to this church no more. If, 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 if I can't be honest with you and share who I am, I, I got a little man crush on Ildris Elba. In fact, you know, I, I see him and I think, you know, if I just work hard enough, stay in the gym long enough, do, 
do 10 minutes of cardio extra, I can have that Ildris Elba body. So I got a, I got a picture of him with his... <laughs> I, I got a picture of Idris Elba with his shirt off on my phone. <laughs> let, 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 me, let me finish. And when I'm on the treadmill and I feel like I can't run another quarter mile, run another half mile, I, I'll take that picture of Idris Elba off my phone and, and look at it and I'll think to myself I can look like that if I only make it through this and I believe this is the perspective on life that Paul had he encourages us to have too he doesn't have a, want us to have a picture of Idris Elba in our hearts and, and in our minds he wants us to have a picture of the glorified Jesus Amen. in our hearts and and in our minds. And as you're going through things, think of Jesus and think what the troubles in your life is producing and think to yourself, I can make it through this because at the end, I'll be able to look like that. In fact, this is how God works. Paul says so in verse 17. He says that our light and momentary troubles are achieving, are causing, are directing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's not only you have to walk through suffering to get to glory, suffering actually achieves for you glory. There was an interesting experiment done several years ago by a group of scientists on caterpillars. When these caterpillars were in the cocoon state, they took about 100 of them. 50, they just left alone and did nothing. But then another 50, as they were struggling to get out of the cocoons, the scientists helped them break their cocoon state. All 100 of these uh, caterpillars eventually became butterflies, but only the butterflies that the scientists didn't help could fly. The scientists soon discovered that it is the struggle of breaking through the cocoons that made their wings strong enough to fly. Uh, I got a word for you today. You want to fly? You want to go to the heights that God wants you? Don't fight it when God puts you in that cocoon state. Don't look for God to help you, because really all God is trying to do is make your wings, your life, strong enough so you can fly. Paul tells us to stay in the fight. 
because in it there is a preparation for eternal rewards. Finally, stay in the fight because through it, God allows you to perceive unseen realities. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. This is the final and probably most paradoxical contrast that Paul has stated thus far. He says that we need to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Let me make it real how how paradoxical this statement is. Paul is literally saying, don't look at what you can see, but look at what you cannot see. I don't think y'all getting it. Paul is saying, Paul is saying, don't look, don't focus on, don't, 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 don't perceive the things that you can see, but rather look at the things you cannot see. Because if you focus on what you do see, you will lose heart. If you focus on your bank account, you will lose heart. If you focus on your circumstances, you will lose heart. But rather, focus not on the things you can see, but on the things you can't see. Focus on God's promises. Focus on the reality that God has for your life. I love how one preacher described this. Glance at your Goliaths, but focus on your God. Paul would later describe this in more detail. He would say, don't live by sight, but live by faith. Be live by God's word instead of what other people say. Live by God's promises rather than by your circumstances. Live by the fact that God says he'll meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus rather than the fact that I got $2.99 in my bank account today. Live by the fact that God puts you and your wife together and not by the fact that she is giving you hell right now. Live. (laughs) Live by what is unseen rather than what is seen. Joel Gregory tells this interesting story. He speaks about a time when he was in the Smithsonian and the group of men were coming towards him with canes. And when they got closer, he noticed that these weren't necessarily canes at all, but they were walking sticks. It was four men, and they were blind. As they felt his presence next to them, one of the blind men handed Joel Gregory a camera, and he asked Joel Gregory to take a picture of them. For the rest of the day, Joel Gregory was perplexed and confused. Why would four 
blind men want their picture taken. He said for two days it kept him up wondering why would these blind men want their picture taken? And then it hit him. These blind men had vision even though they could not see. And this is what Paul wants for us to have vision even though we cannot see. To look more on God's promises than on our realities. I'm through. You guys have been great. appreciate it, but that's just an old black preacher ploy to let you know I got one more thing to say. (laughs) Patrick Dempsey was a pilot flying a commercial charter from Portland, Maine to Boston when he and his co-pilot heard a rattling in the back. So Patrick Dempsey got up, went to the back to examine what was going on. When he got to the rear of the plane, he noticed that the latch door wasn't closed properly. So he attempted to close it himself. And in his attempt to close the door, he fell out the plane. When his co-pilot saw that the signal, that the latch door in the back was open, He immediately alerted the authorities to look around the ocean where the plane was flying over because he feared the worst. There was no way Patrick Dempsey could have survived that fall. So when they got to the airport, rescue crews came to see what was going on, and they found something amazing. As he was falling out of the plane, Patrick Dempsey grabbed on to the cargo ladder. And for 20 whole minutes, as they were flying 500 miles an hour, 5,000 feet over ground, Patrick Dempsey held on to that plane. In fact, he had gripped it so hard that it took the rescue crews over 10 minutes to pry his hands from that ladder. Listen to me. In your life, you will experience some turbulence that will leave you holding on. But rather than letting go, hold on to God's word. Hold on to God's promises. Hold on to everything that God has given you. For my sake, please do not lose heart. Amen.